Hey, this is Daryl Brogdon, host of the Retro Cocktail Hour, and you're listening to the Then Is Now podcast. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Welcome to 13 Days of Halloween. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this special episode of Then Is Now podcast called 13 Days of Hallowtober. I'm your host, Rigor, and on this episode, I'm joined by my co-host on the East Meets the West, Patsy the Angry Nerd. Welcome back, Pat. Hey, how we doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Excited for this year's 13 Days. Um, and also joining us today is newcomer to the show, Ashes. Welcome to the show, Ashes. Hi, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome. I'm so happy you could join us. So since you, Ashes, you've never been on Then Is Now before, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your shows? Uh, yeah, so uh, I am actually Mr. Angry Nerd's wife. I, I'm, I'm, I'm Ashes Mrs. Angry Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and together we have a show called Throwdown Thursday. Every week we dissect the characters that you love and love to hate. Uh, we cover everything from sci-fi, horror, comic book, uh, anime, you name it, we cover real it life. up. Yeah, real life characters too and how they affect their, their, their world around them, how they affect pop culture and the impact that they've had throughout history. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I got to say, you know, through talking to Pat, you, you pretty much recommended this film that we're about to talk about. So I'm, I'm very excited to get into it. Um, so for those who don't know, we are in the middle of our yearly event called 13 Days of Hallowtober, and our theme this year is vampire films. Last year in 2021, we did zombie films, so this year we're doing vampire films, and on today's episode, we are going to discuss a little-known film called Only Lovers Left Alive from 2013, starring Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton. So be warned, uh, as I posted at the top of the episode we have a spoiler alert because we're probably going to spoil the shit out of this film so we highly recommend that you go and watch it first and then listen to our episode class is in session Suicidally romantic. 
scoundrel. Well, let's hope he's just romantic. You being so reclusive and everything is probably only going to make people more interested in your music. Yeah. What a drag. for centuries and now living half a world apart two vampires wake as the sun goes down adam sits holding a lute in his cluttered detroit victorian as eve wakes up in her bedroom in tangier surrounded by books rather than feeding on humans directly they are dependent on local suppliers of quote the good stuff for fear of blood contaminated by the 21st century environment Adam, still a famous musician, also fears exposure, visiting a local blood bank in the dead of night in disguise as Dr. Faust, bribing Dr. Watson for his coveted own negative. Eve relies on their old friend, the author, Christopher Marlowe, who faked his death in 1593 and now lives under the protection of a protege. Despite having influenced the careers of countless famous musicians and scientists, Adam has become withdrawn and suicidal. His desire to reconnect through his music is at odds with the danger of recognition, as well as his contempt for the corrupt and foolish humans he refers to as zombies. He spends his days recording his compositions on outdated studio equipment and lamenting the state of the modern world whilst collecting vintage instruments. He pays Ian, a naive young music fan, to procure vintage guitars and other assorted curiosities, including a custom-made wooden bullet with a brass casing he thinks of using to kill himself. Having acquired much scientific knowledge over the years, Adam has built contraptions to power his home and a vintage sports car with technology originally pioneered by Nikolai Tesla. His reclusive nature adds to his mystique as a musician and composer. He is upset when some intrepid fans turn up on his doorstep. Ian promises to discreetly spread rumors about Adam living elsewhere to draw them away. 
When Eve phones, she recognizes Adam is despondent and decides to come home to Detroit to comfort him. Soon after she arrives, Adam goes out for more blood and she discovers his revolver hidden under the bed with the wooden bullet. Her vampire senses reveal to her that the bullet is new and she is worried. Eve confronts Adam when he returns, chiding him for wasting the life and opportunities he has to enjoy and appreciate the good things in the world, as well as their relationship. They spend their nights cruising the empty streets of Detroit, listening to music and playing chess. Their idol is shattered by the arrival of Eve's sister, Ava, from Los Angeles. Ava gorges herself on their stash of the good stuff and hungry for excitement, persuades them to go out to a local club with Ian, where they hear Adam's music played by the band White Hills. Ava offers Ian a hit off the flask she's secretly filled with the blood and brought to the club, but Adam snatches it from her with supernatural speed and insists they leave. Before dawn, Ava kills Ian by drinking too much of his blood, and Adam kicks her out of the house. Adam and Eve dispose of Ian's corpse in an acid pool in an abandoned factory. Ian's murder and the appearance of another group of Adam's fans at the house compel the couple to hastily return to Tangier with only what they can carry onto the plane. Desperately hungry, they visit Marlowe and learn that their old friend and mentor has been poisoned by accidentally drinking contaminated blood. After they discuss how Mark Marlowe secretly wrote most of Shakespeare's plays, Marlowe dies. Eve takes Adam's ready cash and leaves him with the promise of a gift. He is captivated by the music from a nearby club where Lebanese singer Yasmin Hamdan is finishing a hunting song, haunting song. Eve reappears with a beautiful oud as they sit together outdoors and contemplate their likely demise. They spot a pair of young lovers kissing. What choice do we have? Adam remarks before the two of them apologetically approach the couple with the intent of drinking their blood. Excellent, excellent. So since this is your pick, Ashes, um, when did you first see this and what was your first impression? Uh, we first saw it, I want to say back in 2014. Uh, it had been on our radar for, for a minute. I love films like this. Uh, I have uh, I have a thing for Tilda Swinton and pretty much everything that she does. I cannot get enough of her. So when I hear that Tilda Swinton has been cast, my, my interest is automatically piqued. Uh, we, I think we, we got takeout and a bottle of wine and we watched this film and I was I was captivated from start to finish. And it's one of those films that it is just, uh, it is so beautifully done. It, it I, I, I swoon for this film. It just, it moves me at my core for some reason. I think it's a, it's a different way that we've seen vampires portrayed in the past. And it's such a almost like it's, it's honestly it's a refreshing take to be honest with you, right? Yeah, I agree. You know, it's uh, it's not quite a love story, not quite, or it's not only a love story. Mm. Um, you know, there there are some horrific aspects to it. You do get a little bit of 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 gore. You get a little bit of suspense. A little bit of um, a little <clears throat> bit of thriller in there uh but overall it's just uh such a beautiful film excellent pat did you have anything to add to that 
Yeah, I mean, it. she pretty much summed it up really well. Um, it's definitely like you could take the vampire aspect out of it <clears throat> and it could be, you know, like a, a drama about, you know, two people, you know, facing their inevitable demise from, you know, some long term illness or something. You know, it's, you know, it could be like a movie about cancer almost. You know what I mean? Like it could be a movie about any any of these long term uh, illnesses. But, you know, the fact that it's about vampires and like this thing had a tiny budget, like seven million dollars. And you have Jeffrey Wright and and Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston at the height of his Marvel powers. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Like Avengers had just come out a couple years earlier. Uh, Anton Yelchin and. um Mia Wasikowska and uh, of course, John Hurt, John yeah. Hurt, John Hurt. Yeah, I was trying to remember his, his name um, like that's your cast. Like that's that's amazing for a seven million dollar bu- budget. Uh, and it's, you know, Jim Jarmusch uh, who directed it and wrote it like it's a fantastic, uh, a fantastic story, not to be confused with the novel by the same name in which it's a dystopian future where all adults have committed suicide, leaving teenagers to run the world. <laughs> I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, well, I when I looked it up on uh, when I Googled it, like that's what came up on Wikipedia. It's like, oh, did you mean this or the movie? It's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's amazing. But, so how about you, Rigor? Because you hadn't even heard of this movie until right. I brought it up. Yep. And I looked at the cast, and like you said, the cast was just amazing. I'm like, oh, man, I got to see this movie. And um, I, I have to say, I first of all, I agree with everything you guys said about this film. And I, I was completely blown away by this movie. And it was one of these great situations where walking in really knowing nothing about it except that they were supposed to be vampires. And this is one of those situations which, for me... It's very rare when a film captivates me and I'm mesmerized through the entire experience. And and I have to say, this is now in up in my top 20 favorite films because I ended up watching it three times and it was just like, it, it, the experience did not change. It was just, I was just so blown away by it. And it reminds me of the times like when I saw Blade Runner in the theater, when that came out, that blew me away visually and the story and the same kind of pacing. And I loved that. And there was a few others, like uh, The English Patient is another one like that. And then, you know, I could round off the other two would be Braveheart and Passion of the Christ in terms of just films that I can't stop. I can't look away from If Once I start it, I'm, I'm caught, I'm hooked and I'm mesmerized from beginning to end. And, you know, th- this film was just so amazing. And there were so many levels to it. And I loved that. I, like I felt like every scene, if you freeze framed it, every scene was almost like a painting. You know, especially that iconic shot of them when they finally get back together and they're lying in the bed together. And it's it just it didn't even look like a film. It looked like it was like a painting, you know. Yeah, it was, there's definitely an artistic quality to this film. It's yeah. the, the cinematography and the direction. It's just it's so incredible. And sometimes you get these films where it's, you know, it was beautifully shot, but, or, you know, it was well acted, but, or, you know, the story was, was great and was captivating, but, you know, this film doesn't have the, but, you know, to it, 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 it was beautifully shot and it is, is captivating. And the story is just incredible and how you, you learn what you need to know, 
as you need to know it. You know, it's a, not a lot of uh, verbose words, you know, coming at you at once to tell the story. It kind of brings you into this world and lets you live there for a little bit. Right. Right. And, and I, love, I love tales of immortality and how characters have to deal with it, you know. And I think it's a really interesting take on that, too. You know, uh, the two characters, you have Adam and Eve. And, you know, I, I love the uh, the metaphor of, of those names, really. I think it's perfect. But they're, they're such yin and yang to each other. Right. You know, you have Eve, who is so light, and she's surrounded by life and books. And, and you know, she's just such a, a vibrant character, you know, given all of these circumstances. And then you have Adam, who is this dark and brooding. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. You know, I love goth Tom Hiddleston, you know, Loki, <laughs> uh, Adam, like, you know, those are those are my favorite roles of his. Yeah, uh, because I think he plays dark and brooding so well, because he still gives it a humane aspect. Yeah. And you still find yourself rooting for him. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, just to throw it out there, the uh, the director of photography, the, the cinematographer uh, was Yorick Lissau, S-A-U-X, uh, French guy, I'm guessing. Uh, he did a film called uh, he was cinematographer for Little Women, the remake that came out a few years ago. OK, uh, that actually filmed around here. And actually, I my first film set I worked on was filmed at the exact same location. Oh, wow. Uh, he did a movie called High Life with Robert Pattinson that some of the like I was just looking at some of the pictures, like the still frames from behind the scenes. And wow, like so this is what this guy is uh, clearly what his expertise is, is lighting and, you know, just setting a mood just with different color palettes and like really evoking emotions through just the way the shot is composed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you guys know anything about the director, Jim Jarmusch? I don't I didn't recognize any of his films. Uh, he did. Most uh, recently, he did The Dead Don't Die. The Dead Don't Die, which, again, had Tilda Swinton and Bill Murray. Adam Driver. Uh, Chloe Sevigny. Yep. Hmm. Uh, Iggy Pop, Carol oh, Kane. Carol Kane, wow. Chardonnay. Uh, it's a it's a zombie. It's a zombie film. movie, but it also has like alien aspects to it. And it's you, we could tell you, uh, but you have to watch it. it. Yeah, okay. it is. Uh, if you like a certain type of humor, like very dry. Yeah. Um, not you know you don't have to read too much into it. Humor like that or, or situational humor just the way some larry fessenden is in this as well oh wow yes it's uh it's we saw that in the theaters it was uh it's a trip and a half it was, it's a fun film it's really yeah fun. definitely do yourself a favor and watch it uh it's you know the opposite of this of, of only lovers left alive where this is you know like kind of like dark and brooding and like, there's almost like, there's a there's almost like a cerebral aspect to only lovers right and there's a lot of fourth where, wall breaking where in yeah we're in dead don't die it's definitely uh it's a How completely you know that different was gonna happen it's in the script yeah it's a completely <laughs> different vibe yeah and it's it's wild like like there's this one recurring thing that keeps happening over and over again and Bill, oh my God, Bill Murray is awesome, and 
Adam Driver is and Tilda Swinton is Tilda Swinton. Like the, yeah. the way Adam Driver <laughs> pronounces ghouls, he li- it like, lives in my head rent free. Like he sounds like Christopher Walken. <laughs> zombie ghouls like ghouls. <laughs> yeah 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 it, it, I, I cannot recommend and, it if you have the if you have the opportunity to see it definitely do it it's it's so good Biggie oh, okay, Pop, yeah. instead of brains wants coffee and carol kane wants chardonnay <laughs> oh coffee man. did he just say coffee chardonnay <laughs> <laughs> oh that's cool i definitely gotta check that out oh that's in the trailer so we're not like spoiling anything oh, good. <laughs> like, but yeah, definitely do yourself a favor and check check that out. Uh, Absolutely. He's nuts. And uh, Jim Jarmusch also wrote this. And on IMDb, there's another credit, Marion Besset. And uh, um, from what I'm gathering is she adapted this to f- the French language, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I was curious if this was like, because you had mentioned that there was a book, but it's just the same title. So I didn't know if this was based on a foreign film or anything, but I didn't see anything. Like this is its own original creation, you know. Yeah, I, I think, well, a lot of it, like, there's a lot of French because uh, I believe they speak French in Tangier. Oh, right. Okay. That so, like, and they shot, uh, and that's the other thing, like, again, we're getting back to the, the $7 million budget, and, like, they shot in Detroit, which, okay, that probably cost, like, $40, and then they shot in Tangier, like, on location, like, just the logistics of that alone. Like, I know how difficult it is to get a crew from like New York to Massachusetts where most people can drive. Like, I don't even, I don't even want to attempt to think about the, the logistics it would take to get someone to Africa. Like, right. That's insane. Right. And what's cool about Tangier, and I don't want to get too far off on, on a different tangent, but uh, Tangier is one of those places that was always this sort of safe city for spies. That's why mm-hmm. a lot of spy movies are kind of based around it. And, you know, real real life spies hung out there. <laughs> Guys like uh, Ian Fleming and Roald Dahl and Christopher Lee. and mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's just get into the cast a little bit. You know, we mentioned uh, Tilda Swinton, which I first remember seeing her as Gabriel in the um, Keanu Reeves version of Constantine in 2005. But yes, we just watched that last year. She had never seen it. I uh, have. Just I have it last year. such a hard on for Tilda Swinton in that role. <laughs> I mean, Tilda Swinton in, in any role. It's just like. Yeah, but when she when she's like, I I feel yeah, androgynous Tilda is my favorite version of Tilda, although her her appearance and everything in this film as Eve is is equally as beautiful because there's a a wildness to her. That's just so breathtaking. Now, question for you, but, you know, uh, talking about Tilda Swinton, are you familiar with what we do in the shadows, both the movie and the TV show. I've seen the movie several times, but I haven't watched the TV show. Although I've watched the spinoff, the um, the one about the cops. Okay, um, there's if you watch the TV show, there's an episode where they have the vampiric council, and Tilda Swinton is in it because of this role. <laughs> but like, she's actually a van. Like they have her, they have Danny Trejo, they have uh, the original cast. They have uh, Evan, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, Evan Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood. Wow. Like, 
They're like, oh, where's uh, Rob and Tom? You know, meaning Robert Pattinson and Tom Cruise. Oh, like, those funny. are the only. So it's like, yeah, they played vampires, but they're all really like Tilda Swinton. I believe <laughs> I would believe. Oh, Tilda yes, Swinton absolutely. Was a vampire. But like they they have like she's the head of the vampiric. Like she takes off her hood and it's like, holy shit, that's Tilda Swinton. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. amazing. Do yourself a favor. Watch the show. <laughs> yeah. The show is as good as the movie. Oh, that's so cool. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out because I like the spinoff show. I, of course, I can't. It's uh, Wellington Paranormal. That's the name of it. And yes. that show was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a riot. And there was supposed to be another one called Werewolves. <laughs> that's awesome. And of course, as we mentioned, Tom Hiddleston as Adam, you know, everyone knows him as Loki. But, you know, I liked him in Kong Skull Island, uh, Crimson Peak. Uh, I thought High Rise was a really fun movie. With that's one that's on our list that we haven't watched. yet. Yeah, that's that's a really good one. Yeah, he's he's just amazing. He totally like like you said, you know, the both of them in this movie were captivating and you just could totally believe like you could feel the love between them and that romantic connection, which begs the question, and even John Hurt asked this, why do they live so far apart if they can't stand to be without each other, you know? <laughs> I, you know, that's one of the things I was thinking about, and I think it's because they both have very specific needs and endeavors. Like, she just wants to read, and and she exhibited a uh, an ability uh called psychometry uh when he asks her to touch the guitar yeah yeah uh it's an it's an ability um popularized in some of the expanded star wars universe stuff where you can touch an item and know that item's history right um but i think it's because they just they were in different places in their lives and like they didn't need to you know it's kind of like oh i'm going away for the weekend you know we just kind of need to do our own thing for a while right and for them a weekend is like a decade right <laughs> but they were also in the same like the same circadian rhythm like they were still waking up at the same time going to sleep at the same time well it's why I, I my take on it is that when your soul is truly intertwined with a, with another uh you don't need to constantly be with each other that's true. Yeah. Because you still feel that presence. You still feel you like you 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 feel it. It is a part of you. Yeah. Hence, you know, the fact that they were they were so in tune with each other that, you know, their their mannerisms were very uh, similar at similar times. You know, the waking up, the going to bed, uh, you know, how they how they lived their lives. So even though they were separate, right. they were still very much a part of each other's lives. And, you know, I, we don't know how long they've been alive. We can kind of gather a little bit. 400 we years. I was going to say, you know, we can kind of gather a little bit from, from the stories that they told in the film, but we don't know for sure. And we don't know how long they've actually been together. Right. So I feel like, you know, if they've been together for centuries, you know, coupled together for for centuries at this point, you know, um, how freeing it must be to be able to to wander the world and knowing that your person is still there with you. Right. Right. You know, I mean, not 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 to be bound by, you know, uh, the the. I, I guess, you know, not to feel bound by by the um, 
societal constructs yes yeah the societal constructs of relationships that can be kind of bullshit at times right yep you know they they live their life you know on their on their own terms and you know when the film starts we see that he is depressed and he's kind of having this this inner quarrel that you know we learn this is not the first time this has happened and this probably won't be the last time but every time it does happen like she feels it and that's when she phones him up and she you know makes the plans to go to go be with him and you know encourage him to live a life that is as fulfilling as it could be. That's why they, he was talking about the quantum entanglement thing yep. at the end. Like, even if you take, and it's basically what you were just saying, you know, you can take the two entangled particles and put them on opposite ends of the universe and what affects <clears throat> one affects the other. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, and that's funny too, because that's something that my wife and I can relate to. It's like, we, we're so connected on so many levels and to the point where I, a news item came up and I took a screenshot and sent it to her and she was like, oh, my God, I was just about to do the same thing and send it to you. <laughs> I mean, there have been numerous times over the past couple of weeks with Patrick being away, uh, you know, on location filming where what we've texted each other the same thing at the same time. Yep. Or, you yep. know, we're talking on the phone later finish on. Each sandwiches. Well, yeah, that happens a lot, too. Um <laughs> You know, uh, or, you know, we're on the phone later on in the evening and it's like, oh, I was thinking about this today. And he'll be like, no, I was thinking about that today, too. Yeah. You know, just like thing, and, yeah. and it's the most it could be the most random thing, too. It's like, oh, you know, remember that time, you know, eight years ago when this happened <laughs> right. and then you said this and we did that, you know, it, it, yeah. it's the mo most random, random, random things. Or that time when somebody asked us to give a random number when we both gave the, the same, exact, random, same number. random number. <laughs> At yeah. the same time, like it was, I was, I was just about to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. like, it was like, oh yeah, it was like seat six, row thirty, like, and it wasn't like numbers that that like are it, significant. It, it, yeah, to us. it just it, was it didn't just, make sense. And it was the exact same number at the exact same time, and it was like because we were coming up with like a seat number it was like seat this, row this, section this, and it was the same exact thing every single time that's in hilarious unison. and it was just it was so random and it's like <laughs> that to me has always been like shows our connection that's funny yeah that's like my wife and i can't ever play we can never play uh rock paper scissors because we always put the same thing yeah. <laughs> it's like there's no point in ever playing that game because none of will never win you know none of us will never win and I think that's I think that's such a beautiful thing. And getting back to the film, like that's kind of what it showcases too. that you can have this deep connection with somebody that that's that's deeper than anyone will ever know, you know, and and still live a life and still be separate, but know that you are connected. Right. Right. And I think it's just it's such a beautiful thing. Oh, it absolutely is. And uh, let's just continue going down the cast list real quick here. And we can really dive into some of the details of the film. We've got Mia Wazakowska, who played Ava. Um, I didn't recognize her. The only credit I recognized was uh, that Tim, she was in Tim Burton's version of Alice in Wonderland in 2010. Yeah. Yeah. She was in that. She's been in a couple other things that I've recognized her in. But like right now, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you what they are. Right. Right. Then, of course, uh, as you mentioned, we've got the late Anton Yelchin, who played Ian. 
Um, it, you know, it was really too bad. He died at 27 years old. Uh, he's probably best known for playing Chekhov in the J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek films. And um, he was also in the remake of Fright Night. He played Charlie Brewster, the main character in that one. And he was in uh, Green Room, Green Room, which if you haven't seen, holy shit, see Green Room <laughs> with Patrick Stewart. Put it this way. Patrick Stewart read the script. He plays a bad guy, by the way. He plays like a crazy Nazi. Wow. Uh, he read the script, stopped halfway through, locked all his doors and windows, poured himself a glass of whiskey and then went back to finish the script. Wow. Like it's one of the most tense harrowing films I've ever seen. Uh, but just quick on Mia Wazikowska, she was also in Crimson Peak. Oh, okay. It's been a while since I've seen that one. And uh, I'm trying to, there was something else. Oh, the kids are all right with, uh, which was really good with uh, Mark Ruffalo and yes, Julianne Moore. Yes. Um, that was really good. So I would, uh, I would recommend that too. Right, right. And then we've got, as we mentioned, John Hurt, who plays Christopher Marlowe, um, who's, you know, um, Adam refers to him as Kit, and that actually was his nickname in real life. Um, so, you know, we could do a whole show on just John Hurt alone. I mean, obviously, he's most famous for being the first guy to have the alien burst through his chest in yep. the 1979 the Elephant film, Man. Alien, Elephant Man. Uh, he was Professor Broom in Hellboy. Yep. Uh, one thing uh, my son and I love. V for him. Vendetta. Yes, V for Vendetta. I was thinking of that. And also, he you played. You also in Snowpiercer? Yes, Snowpiercer. Oh, I still haven't seen that yet. Oh, do oh, it. He has, an, oh. he has an umbrella arm. <laughs> and Tilda Swinton is also Tilda in that Swinton, one. Yes, she's she's uh, she's a mate. Ewan Bremner, uh, Octavia Spencer, Chris Evans. And it's Bong Joon-ho who did Parasite. Right. OK. Yeah. And Anton Yelchin, just one more quick thing. Uh, he was also Kyle Reese in uh, Terminator Salvation. That's right. I forgot about that. Oh, wow. OK. And I just watched that a little while ago, too. Um, also, John Hurt, to me, um, and uh, Spency, my son, who is also a frequent guest host, um, we loved John Hurt as the war doctor in uh, the Doctor Who TV show, which was basically, if you don't watch the show, whenever the actor leaves the role, the character dies and regenerates and comes back as the next actor. But the war doctor was this character that they never talk about because he's like between like the eighth and ninth doctor regenerations. And there was a major war going on with these villains called the Daleks. And he had to become the war doctor in order to stop them. And it, it's, it's sort of this dark blemish on the doctor's history because he's a man of generally speaking peace. He doesn't use weapons. He tries to outwit his opponents at all costs. And so it was great to see even for a brief time to see John Hurt as the war doctor, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a phenomenal actor. I mean, just the fact that, you know, he would play the elephant man and be in all these prosthetics, you know, and just a couple of years after Alien. Alien was 79. Elephant Man was 81. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of years after that, like where he would be completely unrecognizable, except for his very distinctive voice. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. My parents took me to see that. That depressed the shit out of me. <laughs> That's the role. For some reason, they were like. Anthony Hopkins, you played a doctor in Elephant Man. How would you like to play a doctor in this movie called Silence of the Lambs? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, we've got Jeffrey Wright, who played Dr. Watson. Uh, I recognize him right away as playing uh, Felix Leiter in some of the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. Um, Felix Leiter is the, sort of the CIA guy versus Bond's MI6 guy. And... Um, 
uh, that role actually was previously played by David Hedison, who was famous for being in The Fly and Voice to the Bottom of the Sea. And he's the only character in the original Bond series from the 60s to the 90s that recurred. Uh, he played the character twice. And so it was nice to see, you know, Jeffrey Wright play the character of, in two or three of the newer films. Um, and as well as he played Lieutenant James Gordon, not quite commissioner yet, in the most recent film, The Batman, which um, and if, if uh, you haven't seen that, it's shame on you. It's awesome. Oh, no, no, we, <laughs> we have. We did it. We did a podcast on it. We, oh, we've been covering all the different theatrical versions of Batman. Uh, but he was also played a, a great role in uh, HBO's Westworld series. Oh, OK, I haven't watched that yet. Yeah, he's he's really good in that. Um, but like just in general, I love Jeffrey Wright as an actor. Yeah. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, then we've got the band White Hills portrayed themselves, uh, which Ash has read in the uh, synopsis. There is basically a psychedelic rock band formed in 2003. I don't know if you guys know anything about them. No, I I thought it was going to be like Jack White and the White Stripes because the, he specifically mentioned Jack White earlier in the movie. Driving that's by, right. like there, that's Jack White's house. That's where he grew up. And, and she's he was like, this, "Oh, little Jack White, I remember him." He's like the seventh kid, you know. Like, and I'm like, and then I see this band later on, and I'm like, "Oh, that's got to be that's got to be him." Yeah. And it's like no. And I loved the music in this. I'm going to have to dig into their their um you know albums and stuff. Uh, and the last one I just wanted to mention was a guy named, uh, so I'm going to butcher his name, Slimane Dazzy, played Bilal. Um, he was mostly in foreign films, so I didn't really recognize anything else that he was in, but he was Marlowe's ghoul. Now, I know, I felt that, that you know how vampires have a ghoul. They have a guy that protects you. And a familiar. I, a familiar, yeah. And I felt that he was that for Marlowe, and Ian was that for Adam, because, you know, as soon as they woke up, um, Ian and even Bilal, Bilal were ready to go. Like they kind of knew. I, I felt like Ian just knew when uh, Adam woke up and Adam had probably been sleeping for, you know, five years. I would I would say um, they're not quite. I would say Bilal was more of a familiar than Ian. Ian was more more like an errand boy, like a familiar does everything like you know keeps you safe during the day right. you know cleaning the house you know getting whatever supplies necessary lining up victims if necessary right um and he said that to to eve at one point he's like i'll protect your secrets as well yeah so i mean i don't i don't think he's quite on that level but he's he's close he's close to that but like you know, he didn't let he's like, oh, you know, let me use your bathroom. Oh, it's still uh, it's still out of order. Oh, man, what are we going to do? Yeah, like, go go piss in the garden. Like so that is what kind of led me to he's not quite at that level right. of familiar. Right. But I don't think he considered Ian like a zombie the way he considered the majority of humanity zombies like right. he had a. A respect for him but i don't well, I mean he, he does say something along the lines of you know when when eve made a comment about ian you know adam said he's not like the other zombies yeah yeah like he's he's different you know he, he almost like he he gets it and i honestly think ian knew what adam was hashtag not all zombies <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I, I think Ian knew what Adam was, uh, you know, and, and but didn't question it. You know, there was a there was a, a respect there that, you right. know, he didn't he didn't cross that line in any way. And I think that he knew as long as he, you know, did his job, which obviously he was good at. Right. You know, pure, procuring all of these instruments and, and getting, him, you know, and the yep. bullet and, yep. you know, uh, providing these records and, and whatnot, um, you know, and and chasing away the the unwanted fans you know starting to congregate outside of his house you know uh i i definitely think there was a respect there but i don't know if it's necessarily a familial type thing of, well, of it, relationship it's funny because ian at one point mentions that adam had him sign a non-disclosure agreement so the, you knew he was in he you know like, if he was going to do that then he was all in you know but i mean like what's he gonna do if he breaks it Sue him? <laughs> oh, man. So I pulled off of, um, I wanted to mention the guitars a little bit. I pulled off of uh, Wikipedia, of course, you know, as we always say, it's, you know, encyclopedia by general consensus. But I'm pretty sure these are accurate because when when the, the movie opens, he's holding uh, a 10-course Renaissance lute. And that's credited as being built by a guy named Michael Schreiner of Toronto. Um, and then Ian, as you guys mentioned, brings him several guitars, uh, one of which is a white 1959 Supro, which at that time had been uh, manufactured by a company called Valco. And he names that one William Laws. And I wonder if that was Adam's original name, if he was William Laws. It's entirely... Po I, I think he's older than that. I think because he, he talked about like... Galileo and shit. I think he's like 500 years old. Right. Like if they knew Christopher Marlowe back when he was Christopher Marlowe. Right. Because William Laws was an English composer in like the 1600s. So he could very well have been him because he hinted at Adam hinted at being a composer. Like, didn't he? He made something for and she's like, oh, you you gave it to Schubert. And he's like, yeah, but I only gave him the Adiago, you know, <laughs> Adagio. Yeah. I mean, I mispronounced it. Um, so he's got that, the 1959 Supro. He's got a 1966 silver blue Hagstrom, um, an early 60s silver tone in black, which I thought was really cool. Uh, a red Gretsch 6120 Chet Atkins, which that's the one that Adam saw Eddie Cochran play once. And uh, also he later gets the, and this, this is the one that you referenced, Pat, where she touches it, uh, 1905 Gibson L2. And, you know, then he just had this amazing collection of violins and guitars and cellos. And, you know, and I loved his his the way he would. It, I, I see. I got the impression and they didn't like we said, they didn't, weren't clear about how long they sleep. Um, but uh, everything he had was from the 1960s, like down to the stethoscope where Dr. Watson says you might want to get a new one because that thing's like from the 70s, maybe even the 60s, you know. And I felt like every time he woke up, he would add new technology because he could FaceTime with her without having an iPhone. Yeah, he had all that, all that shit hooked up to like the old tube TV. <laughs> yeah. I loved that. Mm. That was awesome. And you get a brief shot. I actually went back and rewound it and um, freeze-framed it, a brief shot of the engine of his car, which was a Jaguar XJS, um, which I couldn't I couldn't find online what year that was. It's got to be in the late 60s. But, um, you know, he did that. And then he he even took apart the wiring on the side of his house and he was commenting on how the zombies made a mess of it. And he had his own 
set up underneath the ground. You just lift a panel up on the ground and you did this whole amazing thing. He's like, yeah, I just cobbled it together with some old parts. You know, it, it reminds me a lot of, um, you know, it's like one of those abandoned uh, neighborhoods in Detroit, which was very reminiscent of uh, Don't Breathe, where oh, yeah. his was the only house on that road. Um, I think it's the same thing because when you see the uh, the scene right before uh, we find out Anton Yelchin's character is dead, um, as Tilda Swinton's kind of like walking around the house, you can see like, you know, holes in the ceiling and like everything's in disrepair and it's all like moldy and, and beat up and broken. And then we see, uh, you know, the outside of the house, like there's no power anywhere. Like everything's hooked up from his little uh, generator that he made. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing. Did you guys notice? I thought this was hilarious every single time. Every time they did an establishing shot of the house, there were either wolves or coyotes howling in the distance. Yeah. I always <laughs> noticed like, like some sort of canines uh, doing something, yelling and running around. No bats, though. That's true. That's true. Oh, man. That might have been too on the nose. Right, right. <laughs> and it just felt like a like it was almost like a comedic touch because like the third time you're looking at the house and you hear in the background, it's kind of funny, like uh, in a good way. You know, it wasn't, um, you know, uncomfortably silly or, or what have you. I thought it was a nice little touch. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was nice. I thought it was cool, too, that uh, what's his name? Uh, Dr. Uh, Watson refers to him as Dr. Strangelove, refers to Adam as that <laughs> yeah i mean I, he may have changed his name tag that second time which would have been funny but probably not like considering it went with the rest of the aesthetic like how he's walking in the hospital and everyone's kind of looking at him like hey yeah. what's up <laughs> guy who definitely works here and should be walking down this hallway right <laughs> and i thought it was great that the the blood makes them high and it's funny because they're like you said the good stuff is uh, type O negative, which both my my wife and I have that, and that's our blood type. And I believe I was thinking about the band. Yeah, <laughs> isn't the band O positive? <laughs> but it's the it's the um it's the the blood type that's a universal donor, but can only receive O negative if you need to receive it. Right. Yeah, and I thought it was uh, there's something that I I noticed where. Right before, you know, again, we find Anton Yelchin's guy dead. Uh, Tilda's walking down the stairs and she's like, oh, I've got a special, special concoction for her or whatever. And when she drops it, because she's shocked that, you know, Ian's dead, it spills onto the floor and like instantly coagulates like within right. seconds. So it's like, was she going to kill her? Was she going to kill her sister? Right, with contaminated blood. It's very interesting, or at least make her sick. Yeah. So, like, I thought that was fairly interesting. I totally understand why uh, Adam didn't want her around, because she's a fucking mess. And it's like, oh, it's been 87 years. I'm sure she's changed. Nope. She wrecked <laughs> She wrecked the place. Yep. Uh, smashed up the guitar, broke a bunch of uh, uh, records. Yeah. I think the most heartbreaking thing is he had to leave all of his stuff behind. Oh, my God. I know <laughs> that was like I was like, no, can we just pack it up and I ship mean, it to Tangier? 
at that, at that, you know, but again, you know, are you, are you trying not to attract attention to yourself? But I mean, at that point, like you've done all this, you know, you're this old. Do you really have the same type of attachments or that say, people like, have? Material possessions, you probably get to the point where you are above it. You know, you are, you are, you are beyond, you know, the tangible material stuff. You know, what you desire is far beyond that. Right. You know, and your your purpose for living, it's not it's not collecting things. It's it's more so collecting knowledge, collecting hobbies, collecting, uh, you know, uh, you know, in, in Adam's case, learning that he was kind of a mentor to all of these world changers, you know, these scientists, these musicians, you know, maybe maybe for him, it's collecting people who ultimately go on to change the world in some way. Yeah. Yeah, the musicians and the scientists. You, yeah, the, what I just said. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's it's like collecting experiences versus collecting things. Right. You know, and and I mean expanding and, your legacy. It's almost like you know seeing your kids go on to do like specific things, like you know, immortalizing yourself through the acts of other people. So he's almost like one of those helicopter soccer moms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really I really think I, mean, I, I mean, really that's think one that way to put it. I really think that Nevaeh wants to do tap. Uh, Mom, I don't really want to shut up, Nevaeh, <laughs> whose name is Heaven spelled backwards. Because that's <laughs> that's fun. We're going to have cupcakes at your wedding, <laughs> which I'm already planning. I'm nine, <laughs> which I'm already planning. You want to do tap dance. It's not because of my own failed dreams. <laughs> I have two club feet. I think it's more like, actually, you know, you know, the the origin of this show that is now podcast was, you know, when my kids were born, I felt the need to bring them up to speed on all the cool stuff they missed out on. And it served them well through school. They would always get the teacher's references where the other kids were like, huh, what, you know? And I think it's it's he in the similar way he was doing that like the, he read off the litany of scientists and all the bad things that happened to them. And they're still arguing about Darwin now. And I think he influenced them on some level and, and kind of nudged them maybe in the right directions, you know, and same thing with musicians, you know, or provided them with inspiration. You know, mm. not enough credit is given to the muses of the world. Right. Right. You know, Another touch that I really appreciated was uh, when Eve showed up at Adam's doorstep, you know, even though they're coupled, even though they've been in each other's lives for centuries, she still waits for him to invite her in. Yes. Which begs the question, had she never been there before or is it every time like if you go away for a certain period and come back, you have to be invited in? I think it's just any time you craft across a threshold. Yeah. Because Ava goes in without being invited, and uh, Adam kind of scolds her for that. Or was it? Yeah, Eve, and and or... Eve flat out says that it's inappropriate. Right, it's bad luck. Is what she said. Yes, yes. So I thought that was interesting. Like it, it makes you wonder then too now how that affects Ava's character because she's so out of control that maybe she has been you know because she breaks the rules, it's been affecting her on subtle levels. See, I think. You know, that specific rule is interesting because if you see like uh, let the right one in with um, 
Chloe Grace Moritz, the the remake. I don't know if they do it in the original. I haven't seen the original, but she comes into the house or crosses the threshold without being invited in and like blood starts pouring from like her head and shit like because she came in and wasn't invited. So I I think that's I think it's like a different take on like everyone's interpretation of the mythology and like the different things. Like if you look at, you know, Blade, it's like, oh, crosses don't affect me. But other people like, oh, crosses affect me. And it's like, you know, it all depends on which vampire lore you're looking at. Like if we were to talk about, say, Dusk Till Dawn, that that one crosses affect those vampires and holy water affects those vampires. But, you know, in this particular movie, like I don't believe crosses or holy water would affect them. They make a joke about garlic. Uh, right. In that in that scene about, you know, talking about the uh, crossing a threshold without invitation thing. Right. Ava says that I think she's she's like, yeah. oh, and you're still afraid of garlic, are you? <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm not talking about mythology. I'm talking about it's like, right. You just said it, it's bad luck. Like, that seems like mythology to me. <laughs> but I get it. You know, I didn't notice if they were reflected in any uh, surfaces, but that that whole thing went back to when uh, mirrors had silver in them and oh. silver is supposed to be a, uh, a, uh, like a deterrent, like vampires are allergic to silver. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I like pure. the idea. Yes. I like the idea of the bullet needing to be very hard wood. Cause that's essentially stake through the heart. Right. But yep. With a bullet, you know, a brass case. I don't know what the significance of the brass well, I, I I think it's maybe the silver thing. Make sure it's brass, not any other metal. But the casing's going to get ejected once the bullet fires. So maybe it's it's a way of or maybe keeping the wood pure. Maybe, oh, maybe. or maybe it's uh, was specific for that gun. I don't yeah. know. I don't know much about firearms. Yeah, but... I don't. I don't know much about ammunition either. Yeah, but because I also noticed, I know that, bullets aren't made of well, wood. Typically. I, because I also noticed that the jewelry that they were wearing was tied on with rope with string. Yeah, and they wore gloves all the time. Yeah, what was up with the gloves? I was didn't quite get that. Well, I so my theory is, especially for Eve's character, where she has that ability, everything that she everything that she touches, she she feels and sees the history of it. Maybe it's to keep that at bay. It could also okay. be as simple. Well, she would just always be technically always be experiencing the history of the gloves. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I bought these at Rite Aid last week. Uh, but like, I think part of it is also, you know, why do people typically wear gloves when they don't want to be noticed? They don't want to leave fingerprints anywhere. That's like true. that could be yeah. it could be that simple yeah. or it could be because when uh ava showed up and she took her glove off to touch uh tom's face the same way that eve had done prior it's like a a a connection type thing like you establish some sort of uh connection with another person right with a psychic contact yeah um it's just interesting. Or maybe, you know, because they talk about how the the blood of the 21st century is so contaminated with everything that we, you know, our, our, our current culture is doing. Uh, maybe they feel that their touch is susceptible to that as well. They just don't want to they don't want any type of contaminants to get on them in any way, shape or form. It reminds me right. of 
uh, Nandor. We drank the blood of some people, but the people were on drugs, and now I am a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting fact that I'm staring at uh, on the computer here. Uh, everyone agreed, you know, Tilda Swinton, Mia Wazikowska, John Hurt were going to join the film, even though they didn't have financing. Uh, but not Tom Hiddleston. It was going to be Michael Fassbender, who I could also see in that role. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I think uh, I think Tom was perfect for it. Oh, yeah. no, he is. But I could see Fassbender, especially There's after a, his turn as David. There is a, a charisma that Tom Hiddleston has with some of these roles that even though he's playing such a dark character, you just can't help but but be hypnotized by him. Yeah, he has this. And there's there's a few actors like this. And like I, I mentioned, John Hurt, uh, who have a very distinct voice and speech pattern. Tom is one of those guys that has, you know, everyone's like, oh, Morgan Freeman's voice, Morgan Freeman's voice. Tom's is very like Michael Fassbender, very soothing and calming. Oh, I would listen to that man. Read the phone book. <laughs> right, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's got that. Oh, that God. I, calm, want, I want him to do one of those sleep podcasts. There you you know, where, yeah. where, where the person just tells you a story and creates this ambiance to lull you to sleep. I want him to do something like that. I, <laughs> I would sleep with Tom Hiddleston every single night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he's so good in this. And one thing I wanted to bring up was um, we kind of touched on it about um, Eve and her abilities it's it's more than even just uh, psychometry because she's going around. She looks at the at a skunk and she says the scientific name and she knows the scientific names of all the animals and all the plants in the area. And she's constantly, you know, wowed by them. And it, it just shows you how in tune with the universe she is, where Adam isn't quite in tune with that stuff. He's more to the music and the technology kind of thing, whereas she's into the, the life aspect, you know? Well, he, he did know all the scientific names of all the different uh, woods that he was looking at. Um, but the other the other thing I think is, you know, we saw her reading in several different languages. I was going to say, like, I think it comes to the it's it's the fact that she's educated. Well, I was going to say when you're that old, you find different ways to pass the time. You find different things to enrich yourself. It's like, all right, so. I've learned every language there is. Now let me learn all about, you know, this specific branch of science. And now let me learn about this specific branch of science. Like, obviously, he's got engineering and she's got more like biology. But that kind of goes back to what I said a little bit earlier about them being like the yin and the yang, the light and the dark. Mm -hmm. She's seeing all of the possibilities we have forever. We can do everything. We can learn all there is to know. We can gain all of this knowledge and we can attempt to spread that knowledge. We can keep it for ourselves. It's up to us, you know, what we what we decide that we want to do, that's what we can do with it. But the world is literally our oyster. We can do whatever we want with it. We have all of these things that we can do when you're choosing to sit here and brood. Right. You're choosing to sit here as a recluse. Right. And be depressed. You know, you have you have all of this stuff that you could be doing 
and this is how you choose to spend your days. Right. Exactly. Right. Or, or nights, I should say. Or maybe at that point, it's just like nothing. He doesn't get that inspiration. Nothing evokes inspiration for him anymore. You know, and I get that, too. And, and honestly, I think that's why she goes to him. It's like he's I hit think, a creative block. I think she yeah. is his muse. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, aside from all of that love that is there, this, you know, these this this centuries of experience and, and love that they've had that they've, they've shared, you know, it's the fact that at the end of the day, she's still. She's still his muse. She still, you know, makes him want to create things. Right. Yes. And he's and, and like she feels that he not only he's depressed, but he's reached that creative block phase. And that's ultimately the thing that if he doesn't have creativity and he doesn't have that ability to put out like new music or you know to be inspired by things around him what's the point of living exactly like he's he's done this he's been there there's nothing left for him to accomplish without this inspiration he sees no reason to go on right right absolutely and you know what I, I like to we kind of mentioned it, um, the, the little touches in the movie where, you know, he doesn't need to fix his bathroom because he doesn't use the bathroom. You know, when she's packing up to go to Detroit, she doesn't put anything but books in her suitcases. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't need to pack toiletries and clothing and all that. It's it's irrelevant to them because they're so far beyond it. But did you notice when when she was packing up, she was kind of stopping to read at the same time? And there was one point where she had some books that were in foreign languages and she was just running her fingers down, almost I like think, Daredevil reading, reading that way through her fingertips. I think what she was doing was trying to remember the last time she read the book or if it was something she read before. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Or like trying to like which book is going to be evocative of what emotion, because I'm sure she's read all of them. But like, how long ago did she read it? How long ago? Like, what I mean, subject matter is who's it? to say she was bringing it for her? Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, which maybe, book will evoke what emotion? Right. Right. Maybe she was, you know, looking for stuff to pack for him as well. You know. Yeah. Like he's in this place. Which book do I, you know, running her fingers over the words, remembering what? Because I'm, I'm sure you get to a point where you've read so many books, you really don't remember what some of them were about. So by her running her fingers over the page, it's reminding her, oh, yes, this is this. This was written by this author, you know, in this year. And this is what this is about. Oh, yes, this is this. This put me um, in this mood, which then inspired him because they feed off each other's feelings. Yeah. So it's, it's right, mutually beneficial right. for the two of them. Right. Right. Absolutely. And it's just oh my gosh, there's so many great things about this movie. The um, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, other thing I wanted to mention too was um, the the soundtrack, because you know I'm just looking at it now on Spotify and uh, the the band's a band called Squirrel, which I've never heard of them, but you know their song "Spooky Action at a Distance." I because I watching the movie, I I was using Shazam to find out what some of the songs were, and it just it had that, you know, like we established that Adam is this dark, brooding character and the music is dark and brooding. And he even said several times that he used to write funeral music, which uh, that ties back to. And of course, I forgot the name. He named his guitar, which was um, oh William Laws. And that guy wrote funeral music back in the 1600s. 
Yeah, I, I that I think was. It's weird. It's a it's like a um, it's like a dark inspiration, but it's really cool. Yeah. It reminded me of I don't know if you're familiar with the song. This is the end by the doors. Yes. Which is also very trippy when you listen to it. It just goes on and, you know, it has that same mood to it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a term I learned uh, through listening to Motionless and White. Uh, a song, uh, a word, threnody, which is like a, a funeral dirge. Hmm. Uh, I just like the word threnody. <laughs> That's awesome. And I just love like, you know, uh, Adam used to hang out with Byron and Shelley. You know, Christopher Marlowe basically helped Shakespeare write some of his plays. Well, he he wrote all of them like that's the 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 conspiracy theory is that Shakespeare never wrote anything. He just took Christopher Marlowe's work. Right. And put his name on it. Which and that that's another aspect that we've kind of touched on is like, for example, Adam down through the centuries has just created stuff and given it to people. He's never, ever taken credit for anything, although he's supposedly a well-known musician. And that's why those kids were like hanging out outside his house. But is it because he's been a musician, say, since the 60s and he doesn't want them to see that he's still young looking? Is that why he's part of why he's reclusive? I think that's part of it. Like, I think also they just want to. It's like when he's like, he's like, oh, I once saw Eddie Cochran play this. And he's like, and Antoine Yeltsin, like, you saw Eddie Cochran? Oh, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. (laughs) So I I don't know. I, I think that part of the reason why he wanted to stay reclusive is, you know, the same reason why anyone would want to stay reclusive. Like, I don't want to deal with people like he considers himself above, like he's definitely the, the pretentious tortured artist, but like he also, you know, as we saw when he was walking through the hospital could go on a killing spree at any moment. Oh yeah. I mean, both of them had trouble. If they saw a little bit of blood somewhere, it was very difficult for them to to maintain their composure and not go after it, you know? Well, and I think uh, it's really interesting how they're able to control their urges until the very end of the film. You know, they even they they chastise Ava for killing Eve, Ian, you know, so you could tell that they have this moral code that they've established when they found alternative ways of, of gaining supplies uh, without actually having to kill people. Right. Oh, it's also selfish reasons, you know, because they want to make sure that it's well, not contaminated. Well, right. So right. It's pragmatic and it, it works on a lot of different levels. But you have to, you know, you have to wonder, I mean, because obviously they had to kill at some point. You know, so you have to wonder when that change came, them seeking alternative supplies for their alternative food supplies, we'll say, uh, you know, and and establishing this moral code um, and how I don't want to say easily they threw it out. But in the end, you know, I mean, Eve is really content with 
living forever and wants to live forever and loves life and loves, you know, watching people live their lives and doing all of this stuff. And obviously, you know, we, we've established that, you know, Adam is suicidal and depressed and having a, having a moment, you know, uh, and she comes to rescue him literally. And uh, at the end, he's willing to fight again you know he, he's like you know i maybe maybe i'll maybe i'll hang on a little bit longer right. you know maybe i'll i'm not ready i'm not ready to kind of kick it just yet right. you know and i think it's really poetic that they're kind of like in these last stages of starvation you know and they're thinking this is it this is this is how we're gonna go out and they see these two lovers outside Having a moment, yeah, having a moment. They're off to the left and they're alive. Right. Oh, I, I see what you so, did. That's the name of the movie. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have other things I want to get to, but uh, we could talk about the end scene because I wondered if, like, I felt like oh, clearly they were dying because of starvation. They didn't have the blood. And I thought they kind of figured, well, if, you know, if we're going to go out, let's create another couple like us so they can have the experiences we had and you know by killing that couple or not killing them but turning them and drinking their blood their blood would be contaminated wouldn't it Um, maybe maybe not like it depends on like what contaminants they're referring to yeah they they never really go into detail about that yeah and i kind of love how they leave it open-ended you don't know if they left them alive you know, no. or you don't know if you if they turn them, you don't know. They if... said they were gonna. Yeah, she said, "Can we just turn them, please? You know, not kill them." And like that's literally the the, the name. Well, of the movie. but but again, but again, like you know, you you don't know for sure. They well, kind of leave it open ended a little bit. Like, oh yeah. You know, Tom Hiddleston just comes up. He's like, "Blah!" Yeah, like, <laughs> they look scary at the end too when they were doing that. Um, I mean, that was just that was just Tom Hiddleston and. Tilda Swinton, like just smiling for the camera, right? <laughs> now, uh, just to backtrack a little bit here, because um, you know we talked about her connection with the planet and with ev- all the life and everything, and there was a couple of things that she referenced. Well, first of all, they did mention that there were others out there, but he, Adam, said he had never or he hadn't seen any in a long time. So we don't know if these four now three after Marlowe dies, if they're the last vampires left on Earth. Because you got to figure, as the population gets bigger and the world yet gets smaller because of communication and the internet and all that, it's harder and harder to go out and basically kill people uh, like they used to. Because she even says at one point, oh yeah, we used to be able to just dump them in the river and they would be like a tuberculosis victim and nobody cared. So I think that's part of the reason why they turned to procuring blood rather than killing people because it would be much harder to get away with it these days and and then you know they she mentions that there's others out there but maybe they were dying off we don't we don't really know we can only you know put words in the writer's mouth but she also there's two things that she does um she notices these large mushrooms that are almost like cartoonish with the giant red heads on them with the white things on them they almost look like they were yeah um, like, like from Mario. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
So, and I thought that was important for something to to come, something to pass. And they didn't really. They, it's almost like they planted the seed that yeah, because he said yeah, they keep coming back in the wrong time of the year. I don't know why. And it makes you wonder down the road, a decade or two, is that gonna you know be a major part of some kind of cataclysm? Because she also mentions that. You know, looking at Detroit, he's taking her out to scenic Detroit, which is not very scenic at all. And it's all these rundown houses and nobody around. And she says, uh, you know, she predicts that one day D Detroit will bloom when the cities in the south are burning. Because uh, I guess it's because of access to water was what she sort of referenced. So she was seeing something that hasn't come to pass yet. And I wonder if all that with like the mushrooms and everything is connected somehow. I mean, it's possible. I mean, there's also uh, fungi are notoriously uh, very similar to the human brain. Like there are certain certain fungi. Uh, there's a whole episode of Hannibal about this. Uh, it operates very similar, almost like a hive mind. Hmm. Um, I don't know if it was that specific type of mushroom, but like there's a lot of like fungi are very complex uh, organisms. Not that we really think about that, but they're they're uh, they're really weird. And you know, I'm not I, like like you. I'm not a hundred percent sure of what what exactly it means. But you know, maybe it's some sort of like comment commentary about like the 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 ecosystem being thrown out of whack, and like maybe that's affecting them because of their connection to nature and I don't know, maybe I'm reading into it too much. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it was just kind of a metaphor of how things are changing. Mm. Yeah, like the, the, uh, the like upheaval a, of nature. Yeah, it's almost like a almost like a guidepost almost. It's like this is how things normally are, but we're in such chaotic times because we they talked about that. They talked about like climate change and all that. Um, you know, it's like things are in such a state of upheaval that even like nature is starting to, you know, shift, you know, potentially dangerously. Right. And I'm wondering if that kind of lends itself to some of the contamination that they've been talking about. Yeah, because they never say what the contamination is like. They don't they don't say because everything that they're getting is synthesized human blood. I don't think it's it's actual human blood. Okay. So it's almost like a vegan alternative. Oh, like true blood. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like uh, plant, plant based, you know, plant based diets, you know, where it's like, it's almost the same thing, like impossible blood. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Beyond blood. Uh, so it's kind of like that because, you know, the, the, you know, just the way, like there's too much too much like processed foods well, and I was stuff. Just saying, like, all like the think, chemicals think about that our diet you know it's the sodas it's all the chemicals that the we sugars, consume the right high fructose yeah. you know i mean when they even medication yeah yeah exactly you know when they first became vampires you know five centuries ago uh 
the world was a very different place. There yeah. was no Mountain Dew. Yeah, McDonald's <laughs> didn't exist. I was going to say Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, oh, you know, this it, man had a chalupa three days ago. Oh, and God. It's in his system. Uh, I'm going to write a song about it. Well, I'm it's Tom like Hiddleston. that. You got to admit, that was a pretty good Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> it's like go. that that it's a it's a theory obviously it's it's not it's not real because we know exactly why there was this theory a while ago that sharks when they attacked people when they bit people and then swam away it was because like oh well they're tasting everything that we eat they're tasting the mcdonald's they're tasting the diet coke they're tasting all i mean obviously we know now that what they're doing is testing the fat content of of what they're trying to consume and humans just do not have enough fat content to make the energy of actually consuming us and digesting us you know worth it for for the sharks right Uh, that's why they usually go after like seals with animals with a lot more uh blubber attached to it but uh so it's kind of like that that theory that was had you know it's like oh well it's because they're tasting all of the the all of the crap that we consume you know it's it's the perfumes on our skin it's you know all of these these chemicals that are in our foods the, the, the salt content of everything you know it all changes uh everything you know it, it changes everything at a molecular level yeah oh yeah absolutely um so we're winding it down here there was two more scenes i wanted to to bring up one was um when Ava is not when she very first shows up, but there's a scene where uh, Adam and Eve are asleep and now it's evening and it's, it's getting dark and it's time to wake up. And just like a little kid, she jumps in the bed trying to wake them up. And it was just a hilarious scene because even though she's probably hundreds of years old, also, she's still like a child. And, you know, it's I've had so many experiences where. Uh, one of my kids or my grandson just jumps in the bed and we're trying to sleep in. Finally, we get to sleep in on a Saturday and they're jumping on top of us trying to wake us up, you know? Yeah, especially where, like, you know, he definitely didn't want her there. Yeah, to begin with. I think it was uh, to create the contrast between the characters. You know, uh, we learn that he doesn't want her there and, and Eve is, has some some trepidation about about her being there as well, but is trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. Right. And I think it's just, you know, like that scene right there in particular is there to create the contrast between the the characters where Adam and Eve, they're very mature. You know, they're very wise. They're very worldly. They've seen a lot of things. They've done a lot of things, you know, whereas Ava uh, and, and they're appreciative. They are appreciative of their surroundings. Whereas Ava is kind of like a wrecking ball. She's immature. She doesn't really realize that her actions have consequences. Uh, you know, she hasn't really grown up and probably will never grow up. She'll always have that, that naive, um, almost like teenager-like mentality. Yes. Yeah. Which is why she's so irresponsible, because she's yes. still in that teenager mode where they're completely irresponsible. You know, and this scene, you know, where we find out she killed Ian by draining him, uh, you know, she just she got a little carried away and she completely destroyed the room in the process of seeing all of those vinyl records shattered and on the, the floor. Oh, she and broke, the, the, she the destroyed broken, my yeah, the yeah. broken guitars and whatnot. Oh, it just broke my heart seeing I, everything in complete disarray. Oh, my God. I know. I know. It was terrible. But it's just she she doesn't. Uh, she's more 
reactive. Right. You know, she she responds to the situation that she's currently in at that moment and doesn't think of any of the consequences, consequences or repercussions of her actions. Right. And and also she doesn't like like we established already, you know, they uh, Adam and Eve educate themselves, maybe in different topics, but they continue to educate themselves and grow as people, whereas she doesn't really do that. She has no interest. She could give a crap. She just wants to party all day and party all night, you know? You know, and, and who's to say Sleep that... all day, party, party all night. night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and who's to say Adam and Eve weren't like that at some point? But, and I think that's, you know, when when they mentioned it, you know, it's been it's been 87 years since whatever happened that's previously. The, the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> it's been 87 years. Uh you know, it's been it's been a it's been a while since that whole whatever happened took place. And Eve was trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe maybe she's changed. Maybe, maybe... a century, almost a century has matured her. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> and it's... she's still a terrible person. <laughs> she drank all our blood. Bleah. That was a pretty good Tilda Swinton. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> blah, blah. <laughs> And, you know, that's the thing, too, about her character is that not only is she sort of portrayed as uh, a child that they have to take care of, they have to deal with, but she's also like the freeloading sibling that, hey, hey, can I come over and crash on your couch for a few days? And a few days ends up being a few months, you know, and that's probably why he threw her out the first time was because she just freeloaded off of them, didn't didn't offer anything to help the household, just took whatever she wanted and, and partied it up. You know, yeah, drain their supply, didn't yeah. offer to replace it, you know, has no clue what they had to go through to get the supply of, quote, the good stuff. Right. You know, I uh, didn't save any for anybody else. I mean, typical, you know, uh, mooching off a famous musician, just come in, take all his good stuff, crash on his couch, kill his friend and leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like too when they're they're sitting on the couch and they're sipping, you know, the wine. And she's she they had already had, Adam and Eve had already had it, and they poured her a glass. And she's like, "You fed without me." It's like I just love the use of that word. You know, they're they're not really just drinking; they're feeding. Yeah, I mean, it's but they consume it in such a classy manner. See, right. I would I would call it feeding more if they were directly draining someone. Right. Like, I get where it's like you're feeding you still, but like, like, that's the one thing I would have been. I would have gone up to Jim Jarmusch and been like, listen, Jimmy Jams, here's the thing. Uh, you need to change this, this uh, wording around because uh, like I get what she's saying, but it just doesn't seem right to me. And he'd be like. You know what? That is good. I, I don't know if he's Russian. I'm just <laughs> that is good idea. I say that to me, Jim Jarmusch. Uh, I think it's good idea. My friends call me Jimmy Jams. Jimmy Jams. I don't know if any of that's true, but uh, yeah, I would have uh, told him. Yeah, he would have taken it. <laughs> he he might have. Like I don't know how receptive he is. Like Jimmy Jams does what Jimmy Jams wants to do. <laughs> oh my God! So, final thoughts on um, uh, Only Lovers 
Oh shit! What the <laughs> left alive? Left alive. I'm sorry, my my eyes moved. Um, so finally, left lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Only living leftovers. No. <laughs> The leftovers are living. <laughs> you might want to throw them out. What are we having for dinner? Leftovers. Leftover from what? Just leftovers. It's just leftover. <laughs> All right. So uh, ashes. Oh, um, final thoughts on Only Lovers Left Alive. Uh, it's one of those films where whenever I revisit it, it's like watching it for the first time. Uh, it never disappoints. It's so beautifully done. And I know I keep saying that, but I can't say it enough. It's just, it's such a gorgeous film. Uh, how delightful and how nice it is to be able to sit there and be invited into a world that you're not a part of, even just for a, a, a fraction right. of time, you know, where we're just seeing, a, we're really just seeing a few days in the lives of these people uh, who just happened to be vampires, uh, <laughs> but but how how wonderful it is that we kind of get invited into their world, and we get to experience that. And again, I think it's just such a it's such an interesting and refreshing take on a vampire film that you know at this point, I mean, this came out in 2013, so you know it's been almost 10 years since this film came out, but still we haven't really had much in the past year, uh, 10 years of, of really new uh, vampire films. Right. You know, it's almost like um, people really aren't coming up with new ideas on this subject. Uh, people aren't really, it's almost like they're, if anything, they're remaking the old stuff instead of trying to come up with something new and fresh and different. And that's exactly what this film is. Absolutely. Pat? I mean, there's not much more I can, you know, uh, you know, can add to that other than, you know, kind of like what we said at the beginning where, you know, you, there are so many different times where someone's like, here's a fresh take on the, you know, zombie genre, werewolf genre, vampire genre, where, you know, they're like, oh, it's a fresh take. And they have like maybe one slightly new idea. It's like, oh, this guy is he's a vampire, but he's also Italian and cooks with garlic all the time. Like, <laughs> what a twist. But like nothing else is is different, like everything else is the same with this. Like I said, you could take the vampire part almost out of it and still have like a really impressive, uh, you know, love story. Oh yeah. You know, like you could substitute blood for drugs, you know, substitute, you know, vampirism, like I said earlier for uh, a long-term illness. Um, you could change so much of this up. Uh, and still have it be like a, a high quality film. Yeah. Uh, there's very rarely do you get a vampire film where you're like, wow, that was really well done artistically. Like there was, you know, passion involved, you know, and there was, there's definitely chemistry between Tom and Tilda and there's, you know, chemistry, even chemistry between, you know, the, the, the secondary actors, you know, it's, it's so good and it's so well done. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that it flew under the radar. Like, I don't think it was 
in a lot of theaters. Like it made 7.6 million on a budget of 7 million. Oh, okay. Um, but I think it may have just gone to like a few theaters just to get a release so that it could be uh, considered for an Oscar. Right. Right. Like that's the only thing I can think of. Right. But yeah, it didn't have a wide theatrical release, but it's not overly. I mean, it's, I'm surprised 50 50 because you get a lot of these uh, really low budget films with big names in them and they don't get a wide release. Um, you know, I worked on a couple of these where it's like, wait, who was in that movie? Like, and it's like all these names, and you're like, what was the budget? It's like, yeah, like four million dollars, and it's like, really like right. it, it's it's wild that you would get that kind of cast for such a small uh budget film so i mean it's it's one of those like it's it's definitely got whatever you're looking for in in a film like it's got drama it's got comedy it's got i mean dry comedy yeah <laughs> um it's got intrigue it's got passion and it's very artistically done so i i mean i like this i'm i'm with ashes like every time i watch it it's it's like watching it for the first time because you're going to pick up on little things here and there oh yeah like there was a bunch of stuff i didn't remember but we hadn't watched it in like seven eight years oh but it's just it's just it's such a feast for the eyes it's such a it's such a just visual just just gorgeous and you know everything it's just i can't say enough good things about it and i i honestly like you know this being your first time watching it i love that you loved it so much like that makes me really happy oh my god i was totally mesmerized from the beginning and i i wish i had seen it on the big screen and i'm hoping you know keep my eyes peeled someday you know uh, uh what do you call it? fathom events or something maybe we'll put it out um, oh, that would be nice. You know, next year's its 10th anniversary, so that would be ideal. Uh, but it's just an amazing film, visually stunning. The, the, the romance story is incredible. Uh, watching the characters deal with immortality, I love that. You know, it's a slow burn, and that works to his advantage in much the same way, you know, English Patient or Blade Runner. It, it, they wouldn't work if they were faster-paced as films. And even, I meant to mention the scene, I forgot, the scene where Yasmin Hamden is singing at the end. She's singing in a foreign language. I think it was Lebanese. But you didn't need to know what she was saying to get the emotion from what, how she was singing, you know? And I just found like that whole scene in and of itself was just a microcosm of this movie because th that was mesmerizing to watch. Um, you know, I, I think this movie is just unbelievably fascinating and engaging, and I highly recommend it. People out there, if, if you don't care the fact that we, we spoiled the shit out of it, go and watch this movie. It's incredible. As of this recording, it's on HBO Max, um, but this won't come out till October, so that may change. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Pat we'll Nashes, can you guys tell the listeners where to find you and your shows? Uh, yeah. So you can find us Throwdown Thursday podcast. Just Google Throwdown Thursday, and a bunch of stuff will come up, and I'm sure some of it will be us. Yeah, like you can find us, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, wherever uh, fine podcasts are found. We have our Facebook group as well. 
occasionally we do live shows. We just uh, we yeah we just we just recently, celebrated episode three hundred. Yeah, recently, as in like when this was recorded. Yes, <laughs> not when it airs. Not when this airs. Right, right. Because yeah. <laughs> we're recording this like many weeks out. Right. Because uh, Rigor is way more organized than we are. <laughs> Well, because Rigor learned from the first time when he was editing every night to put out a show the next day for 13 days, and that really sucked. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just meant like you're planning ahead. Like sometimes we're like, oh, we need to record this week. It's Wednesday night, and the show needs to be out on Thursday. All right, let's uh, let's talk about uh, uh, oh, there's a Funko Pop Godzilla. Let's talk about Godzilla. Yeah, all right. <laughs> What's Wait, in the a, room? There's a there's a little bit more to it than that. I mean, there have been a couple of those. Give days. us a little bit more credit. <laughs> like we just come back from vacation. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Ashes is awesome having you on the show. Hopefully you'll come back and do more shows with us in the future. Absolutely. Anytime. Excellent. Okay, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you for joining us for our special 2022 13 Days of Hallowtober event in which we're discussing vampire films this year. I just want to briefly remind you that we've got a live streaming monthly series called The Fright Lounge in which we discuss all horror media for seasoned horror fans, as well as those of you who don't know if you want to get into horror. We've also got a new podcast called The Cult Movie Lounge in which award-winning blogger Robert Manell and I discuss all cult movies all the time. And here's, of course, our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies, all of which can be found at our website, Haven Podcasts, that's plural, havenpodcasts.com. And while you're at our website, be sure to click on our Patreon link and TeePublic link to help support the show. We've also got a YouTube page, so please go to youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 and subscribe to it. And don't forget to hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put out new episodes. And of course, we want your feedback, so please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group as well. Then Is Now podcast is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please check out the other great shows there at thedorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. That's right, folks. And all of those links, like I said, they're on our website as well as in our show notes of every episode. And we are on all the podcasting apps. So if you like our show, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review because that bumps us up the list in the algorithm and helps more people to find us. Thank you for joining us today. Class dismissed. Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.